This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max coming to you live from the Seaport District of Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. We were just talking about, kind of took over the last segment, the importance of the Bengals finishing the deal, right? You never know when you're going to get back. So a name that popped into all of our minds, of course, is Dan Marino. We were just talking about it during the commercial break. Got to the Super Bowl in his second season. He was probably at that point, a lot of people were thinking, that's the best quarterback we've ever seen. Like the way we feel this next, a couple generations later, felt about Patrick Mahomes. Oh my God, what am I putting my eyes on here? Dan Marino never got back. Or Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers, who are both Super Bowl champions and have been to exactly one Super Bowl apiece, in spite of the fact that they were, both had long careers and have been on many excellent teams. So is Joe Burrow more likely, the question is, to become a one-hit wonder? Or are the Bengals going to start the next dynasty in the NFL? And by dynasty, I think to have a dynasty, you need to win at least two Super Bowls, right? And make and you got to make the playoffs basically every year. And you got to make playoff runs, I think. And by a run, meaning more than one Super Bowl win. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Like more than one playoff win in yeah. multiple seasons surrounding those Super Bowls. Would that be a fair description of an NFL dynasty? Well, dynasties in general, though, you need to win multiple Super Bowls in a, in a certain amount of years, right? Right. Within that same core group, uh, for the most part, whether it's the coaches and players. And the question is, is, is Cincinnati Bengals getting ready to be a, a dynasty-type team? Yeah. If they if they win the Super Bowl, then they start to put themselves in that position. That's why it's important to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If they lose the Super Bowl, you just don't know because what will be the lingering effects long term? You mentioned Dan Marino. Dan Marino, as a kid, I thought, ooh, isotoner gloves. Look at the hair. <laughs> oh, this dude's this dude's gonna be fire. Now he was fire as a player, but he never got back to the Super Bowl to try to win it again. And that must eat him alive to this day. He he may never admit it, but imagine, just like I talk about the owners in that room down in West Palm Beach doing the owners' meetings and having a conversation about what it felt like to win a Super Bowl, and other owners can't even have that conversation because they don't know what it feels like. And so that may be Dan Marino. So it's important when people say, well, what's on the line for the Cincinnati Bengals? Everything is on the line. Man, they're not playing with house money. They got the same stress as the Los Angeles Rams right now to win the Super Bowl. Are the Bengals more likely to be a dynasty or a one-hit wonder? Because there's in between, but what's more likely between those two options? The only dynasty right now in the NFL are the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, I, I, I don't... The AFC is so loaded... I can't tell you that honestly about Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. I, 
I think so many things has to do with what they do with their offensive line, what other teams in this conference do. Lamar, we act like Lamar Jackson is just like he's forgotten about or Josh Allen, how talented he is, you know, or Patrick Mahomes or just the, the names go on and on in this conference. Will Joe Burrow and his team be in the conversation? Yeah, I can sit up here honestly and say they should be in the conversation for potentially being able to have something like that. That's so damn hard to do. I don't want to do a disservice to Joe Burrow by saying, yeah, they're more likely to be a dynasty. That just sets him up for failure. Let me tell you why I think we're asking this question. You know what I mean, Keith? Let let me tell you why I think we're asking this question. Because when Tom Brady got by Patrick Mahomes twice in the AFC Championship game and then again in the Super Bowl, he's an old guy who has since retired, right? But Mahomes was the rising power. He went to four – hosted four straight straight, AFC championships – Went to two Super Bowls and won a Super Bowl. Dynasty. Okay. Joe Burrow's the first young cat. Josh Allen barely, Mahomes got by him, right? Joe, Joe Burrow's the first young cat from this generation of quarterbacks to get by Mahomes into the Super Bowl. And because yeah. he's on a young and very talented team, we're now saying, oh, wait a minute. Has the Chiefs, like somewhere, when we say dynasty, key, the Bills went to four straight, um, but they didn't win any. The Eagles went to four straight NFC championship games but didn't win any Super Bowls, only got to one Super Bowl. So, there's a spectrum. The, the, the Seahawks made a bunch of runs, went to 2-1-1, right? The Chiefs seemed to be more solid because they, they hosted four straight. They went to two. They won one. And, and there was a sense, I think we all had, they're going to be in the Super Bowl again this year, probably win it. It's going to be two Super Bowls in four years. But Joe Burrow upset the apple cart, Key. He came and said, oh, no, wait a minute. It's my turn. So I think we're asking, is it is, – is it, we're about to go into the Joe Burrow. Is he taking it over from Patrick Mahomes in the AFC? Well, I don't think he's taking it over from Patrick Mahomes. And Kansas City's not a dynasty. Uh, Kansas City's a team that's gone to two Super Bowls, one one. They got a whole lot of work to do before they can be deemed a dynasty in in my world. Um, Joe Burrow wins the Super Bowl. They are now on pace to creating something special, uh, which could lead to a dynasty. But remember. They've got to complete the deal, meaning that they've got to get a couple Super Bowls in a short period of time with this core group and consistently make the playoffs, consistently be in the AFC championship game. You can't win the Super Bowl, then go wild card, wild card, win the division, AFC championship game, lose. The following year, go to the Super Bowl and then be like, "Oh, well, we're a dynasty." Right. No, you need no, two Super Bowl championships. So, you're and, saying yeah. Kansas City needs another Super Bowl championship before you label them as a dynasty? With Pretty this much. core, with this group. core group, yeah. yes, with core this core group. group. I'm, I'm down with that. So it, then, let's say this. Let's retract that statement about they're the only dynasty. They're the only team that has the actual makings of a dynasty right now. The Bengals? No. The Chiefs. I'm talking about the Chiefs. Well, the Chiefs are almost. That's the thing. The Chiefs. I, think, I know I it's hard to win Bengals, a Super Bowl. See, the way you just said it, Jay, the making of? The making of a dynasty. I think Cincinnati has the making of right. a dynasty, but they got to win this one. They got to yes, win that makes this all, one. A, a Super oh, Bowl yeah. champion, the difference between making it there, like a su- one single Super Bowl championship is already kind of the nucleus of a dynasty, right? Like you've already accomplished almost like half of what you need to Uh Losing the Super Bowl, it's not to say like Donovan. No one looks at the Eagles team, which was a dominant but, but, team in the NFC East, four straight conference championship games. Plus, they went to a Super Bowl. No one even thinks of that as a dynasty. But no. had they won a Super Bowl, 
Or had the Bills won one of those, but, we, they, they would be in a conversation. Not quite, but almost. But the Bills, right? the difference between the Bills, Max, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, they went to four straight. Yeah. They went to four straight of Super Bowls. Of course. So it, it, it gets pushed into the dynasty category because yeah. four straight Super Bowls? And came within a, a kick of winning, and you know yeah. that's unheard. Like that's crazy. It's crazy. Four but straight Super Bowls. It's also though, like for me, like when I think about dynasty, I think about like you know regular season dominance too, and championships, and getting there in AFC champ. It's still like you know Cincinnati is ten and seven right now. I mean, even look at Kansas City; they finished season twelve and five. And they were having the down year. Like, is this? I, I there's so much more key that needs to be done before. I just respect the game so much. I don't just toss around the word dynasty lightly or even like well, well, the making of one like it's still long such a long way to way go, to go way yeah to go. But, Joe but the thing is you keep you remember what you're saying though jay making making yeah, it, I it's hear not you. in it's the process not in the oven yet it's in the process and so if you win this one you now are pushing things forward which means in 2024 but, let's say 2023 you Make the playoffs and you lose in the first round. Okay, that's fine. Then all of a sudden you are back in the Super Bowl again in year four of Joe Burrow's career, and you're in the Super Bowl. I think it's in Miami. You're in the Super Bowl in Miami. That is now like the making of a Super Bowl. I, I, I mean, I making just, of a dynasty. I just yeah. hate putting those type of expectations on a player so young. The right championship now. is well, too is late, a, man. You're the, Super Bowl. Just, but, the championship is an enormous pillar in a dynasty because you really need to uh, look. The Chiefs here like this: if the Chiefs win a single other Super Bowl, provided they make the playoffs the whole time in the next three years, yeah, I'll say it's a dynasty, yes. guys. If they go to Two more Super Bowls and win one in the next three or four years. Yeah, it's a dynasty. It's, it's yes. one of the greatest dynasties yes. of all time, yes. right? Like yeah. not many. Th- so, so the Chiefs have done most of the work. The Bengals are just beginning. The question is more likely one hit wonder well, well, or dynasty. Well, more I know likely. We got to get out of here. It's a tough but question. The Bengals are where Kansas City was four years ago. If if they're lucky, if they're lucky, Bengals kicker Evan McPherson, by the way, has ca- accounted for fifty six percent. Of the Bengals' playoff points. Oh, my God. 40 of 72. 12 for 12 on field goals. 5 for 5 from 40-plus yards. McPherson's the only player to score 40 entering the Super Bowl. Stats Incredible is brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. So the NBA trade deadline, that's not just the Super Bowl coming up. Trade deadline's eight hours away. What blockbusters could we see? Woj is next with the very latest on ESPN Radio and ESPN2. Woj. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. Dining in dollars, doing business and bot, wherever life takes you, the Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast. Wise is the easy way to connect all of your finances internationally. Buying that dream property in Portugal? Done. Freelancing in France? No problem. Sending money back to mom? Simple. All without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Minimum fees, maximum ease, full speed. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash unsportsmanlike. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. C.J. McCollum has been traded from Portland to New Orleans. They are not trying to rebuild, but they're trying to reshape this roster. The team that they had, they weren't proving to be significant contenders. They hope some more impact players brought in around Damon Lillard, and they can certainly look at an extension for Lillard in this offseason. Here's a dirty little secret that no one is paying any attention to. The Pelicans are good. When you have an opportunity to go get a player this good, you go get them. Mm. Keyshawn J. Will and Max, ESPN Radio, and we welcome mm. to the show now Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj. Good morning, Woj. Whoa. Good morning, guys. How are you? There he is. What up, Wojer? Senior NBA insider. Woj, uh, let, let's start out right here. What's the latest in Philly and Brooklyn, Woj? Well, it, it, the Sixers, you know, and, and what they plan to do with Ben Simmons is still built around the idea of can they use Simmons as part of a package to get James Harden? And it seems like it certainly held up anything else Philly might do with Simmons, I think, at the trade deadline today. And then I think beyond uh, into the offseason, I think the Sixers' focus is can they find a way to get a deal for James Harden? Um, And if they don't, I think they'll plan to pursue Harden in the offseason and and continue to have uh, likely use Simmons, whether that's in a trade scenario then or – uh, if they can get Simmons, if they can get Harden in free agency, maybe they have to move Simmons somewhere else to help create the space. But as for Brooklyn and Philadelphia, you know, listen, I think there'll be communication today, and I think ultimately, I think Philadelphia is going to have to decide how aggressive they want to get with James Harden. How much would they want to give up now versus believing that they could? Get him in free agency. Creating the cap space is difficult. They'll be able to do it. Um, but how much would Philly be willing to give up now, knowing that they have a great deal of confidence that they could get him later? And so that's certainly a, a lot of what the Sixers have to weigh and certainly what Brooklyn's going to have to weigh between now and the deadline today is um, what do they want for James Harden if they're willing to move him? Do they want to go the rest of the way this season and hope that they can get him, you know, get the big three back together um, after after All-Star break when they expect Durant back? So, again, I think you can expect there to be communication between the teams today uh, leading up to 3 o'clock. There's not been a negotiation going on, but, uh, listen, they, they know what the stakes are, and I think both organizations have to decide you know, their tolerance level of risk for the short-term and long-term built around Harden's future and, and Simmons by extension. My man, 50 grand, Woj, let, let's hypothetically play the game that, and I, I think it's going to happen this way, that there's not going to be a deal that's going to happen between Brooklyn and the 76ers right now. Um, what does that mean for Sean Marks and how they handle the James Harden situation moving forward for this year? Treat them like the Raptors did Kawhi Leonard, which is we're trying to win a championship. We may not be able to keep the player at the end of the season. Um, And listen, Brooklyn knows 
Uh, Vegas will still tell you that a healthy, on-the-floor Brooklyn team is still a favorite to win a championship. I think the Nets have that confidence uh, that that's the case if they're all playing. And I think so much of this, uh, a big part of, I think some of the gulf in Brooklyn is Kevin Durant's been away with rehabbing his injury. Uh, he and Harden haven't been on the court together. They haven't been playing together. Um, I don't know if it would solve all the issues that are there, but I think that once they're playing again, um, I think there's still a belief that, again, their role players go back and be role players. You're not asking them to do all the things they're asking them to do now that they can't, you know, you, you're, they're, they're not winning any games without that group on the floor. Uh, but I think the belief is James Harden will play if Kevin Durant's out on the floor with him. What's gone on the last week or two uh, is not great. It is not ideal. Uh, it does not speak to, it does not, if you're the Nets, it doesn't give you great confidence about James Harden. So again, they've got decisions to make today uh, about Harden, his future with the Nets. Um, but the idea of just giving James Harden away, just cutting your losses and giving him away in a panic, that's not been the stance so far with the Nets. Woj, things are starting to obviously boil over here in Tinseltown with the Lakers. What do you expect for the Lakers to do before the trade deadline? Are there going to be big players in this thing, or are they just going to try and figure it out? I mean, Key, they don't really have the ability to be big players at the trade deadline. They they were big players on draft night last year when they traded for Russell Westbrook and traded assets, traded a first-round pick, and then didn't keep Alex Caruso, uh, didn't go deep into the luxury tax to resign him. And certainly they paid a price for that decision, all of those decisions. And so they're left now with not a lot of options to go out and make more dramatic change to their team. And so, listen, uh, you know, we talked about it yesterday. Alec Burks in New York, Dennis Schroeder in Boston. There are different, you know, those are among the kinds of players that they've talked to teams. They've been, you know, you know, talking to teams all over the league, but their ability to bring back somebody who can help turn this around, uh, make dramatic change, that's really difficult. Nothing's ever impossible. We've seen crazy things happen at the trade deadline, but the Lakers just don't have the mechanism. It's one thing to say, hey, we're not good enough. This can't go on like this. But it's another thing to really be able to do something about it. The one thing the Lakers have shown uh, very little enthusiasm to do is trade more future first-round picks. And um, and so we'll see if that changes today. I think certainly for you know a player they think maybe has could really make a significant difference, you have to consider it. But if it's just marginal differences around the edges, you can't just keep mortgaging your future. You know, you're, you're, you're doubling down on maybe some suspect decisions that were already made. And mm. I think they have shown restraint in that area so far leading up to the deadline. Woj, is it feasible that Russell Westbrook could go to the New York Knicks? Is that a possibility? I mean, Jay, I guess anything's possible. I have not sensed any appetite from the Knicks to do that deal. Alec Burks is a player that's been talked about um, with a number of teams, but including the Lakers. 
in, in multi, multi-player, multi-team trades. I know that's one on the board for most for, for a few teams um, in three-team talks, four-team talks with New York and the Lakers. But, um, you know, I know people have surmised maybe Houston, maybe New York. There's not been any discussions with the Rockets, I know, about a Russell Westbrook trade there. Uh, you know, Eric Gordon's a player that the Lakers have interest in. Houston looks unlikely to move him today without getting a really good first-round pick. Um, you know, that can always change. But uh, those are the kind of moves the Lakers have been focused on. You never know what can present itself, Jay, closer to the deadline. But the idea of someone trading for Westbrook's the rest of this year and then $47 million last year, it's really hard to trade a contract like that without getting back a similar contract. You saw Westbrook and Wall get traded for each other. And then last year there was a buildup of contracts that the Lakers did for Westbrook with Kuzma, KCP, Montrez Harrell. Um, but that uh, that scenario doesn't seem to be in play today. Mm-hmm. Wolves, we saw the Blazers do some, I guess, blockbuster-type moves uh, this week. What does that say, though, moving forward for not only Dame Lillard, but the future of the the uh, Trailblazers? That they wanted a very different roster. They wanted to create you know, a lot of financial flexibility to go out and do different things, whether it's to make more trades. They've got a $21 million trade exception that you could take a significant player into. And they're going to have a ton of cap space this summer. And I know when people hear cap space, they just think free agency. Portland's not been a free agent destination. Uh, Can Dame Lillard help to recruit players to Portland? We'll see, but but it's certainly going to be incumbent on him. You know, Chauncey Billups, you know, certainly can help play that role uh, for the Blazers. And, of course, their, their interim GM, Joe Cronin, but they wanted to reshape that roster. They felt that it had plateaued. Uh, and so they've done that. And Norman Powell, Robert Covington, C.J. McCollum uh, are all gone. Um, I think there's more moves they can still make before the deadline. I'm told they don't feel pressure to have to go out and, and get any significant part of that done today. You know, they're really looking at having a different roster for next season. I think a lot of their stuff is focused on free agency, the draft. That's Adrian Wojnarowski, ladies and gentlemen, host of the Woj Pod, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Woj. Appreciate it. Thanks, Woj. All right, guys. Ready right now? Ready right now. Throws over the middle. Has Capers got it for the touchdown. Matthew Stafford is trying to approach this game as if it's just any other one, but he certainly knows that it's not. It's not. You got a job to do. You got a job to go out there and execute and, and try and lead your team to help us win. Right now. I think this team is going to play loose. I think some of the pressure is off because of that NFC championship game. Matthew Stafford putting up big numbers. I don't see why that would stop. I think the Rams win the Super Bowl. Keyshawn J. Willemax, ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Been talking a lot today about pressure on Matthew Stafford earlier in the show. It does. I know there's pressure on everyone. It's the Super Bowl. We talked about Joe Burrow and how he handles it and this and that. Guys, just think about Matthew Stafford. His whole career stuck in Detroit. Now, they drafted one overall, which means the team was terrible. And with Stafford at quarterback, they went to the playoffs three times. 
but he never won a playoff game. Then finally he gets traded to L.A., and they're loaded. And, oh, the pressure to win in the playoffs. And he's done it. He's done it. He's gotten to the Super Bowl, and he had to come back on Tom Brady and throw passes to win that game, Key. Mm-hmm. I have to imagine, as much as we spent a lot of a segment talking about there's pressure on everyone, it's a little different when you've been in the league 13 years and you're finally in a winning situation and they traded everything in the franchise for you, basically. No? Isn't it a little more on Stafford than on just another quarterback in the Super Bowl? Well, it's a, diff- it's a different type of pressure. The pressure from the public's perspective, he's already conquered that by winning the playoff games and getting to the Agreed. Super Bowl. Yeah. Now the pressure is I'm in the Super Bowl. It's the biggest game of my life. How do I perform? How do I play? Now that pressure comes from the, the, the media, the naysayers, the big game, is he a big game quarterback, the Hall of Fame, all of that sort of pressure now comes to bear. Yeah, it's like when you look at Matthew Stafford, 34 years old, you're like, how much longer can I play this game at a high level, a high, high level? I think the pressure internally for him is about legacy, man. It's legacy. Like, being a Super Bowl champion is something that everybody would dream of, right? Being a national champion in basketball, being an NBA championship, like, it's what you all dream of. And I think the pressure of having that in front of you and then thinking of all the years I played in the NFL, some of the players I play with in those teams, you understand how lucky it has to be when this is a game which is a war of attrition for everybody to be healthy, to be at the prime opportunity to do so in your backyard. I think that's where, for Matthew Stafford, you're like, man, could I have been given a better opportunity to cement something that I've been thinking about doing my entire life? I think that's where the internal that's, pressure comes from. See, I agree. I, I think there's something here. And, Jay, I want to piggyback off that and throw this one to Key. Like, Key, one of the things about Stafford is not just that he wasn't uh, in the playoffs a lot. It's that they had a lot of bad losing seasons. And I think there is a feeling, certainly I have it, that if you have a truly great quarterback, you're not going to go 4-12 and year after year. You know, you're going to do better than that. I'm looking at his record as a starting quarterback, Stafford, Two and eight, one and two, whatever, whatever. He's young. Ten and six, four and twelve, seven and nine, eleven and five, seven and nine, nine and seven, six and ten, three and four, five and eleven. There, there were too many seasons where, where it just felt like because he hadn't won in the playoffs, right? There was a little suspicion. We didn't know what. Hey, Stafford, is this a little bit more you than than we kind of realize? So that's why winning in the playoffs right now is so important. But winning a Super Bowl changes everything. Like, if you become a Super Bowl champion, then that suspicion about all is gone. It's different if you lose in the Super Bowl. It's not quite the same, Key. Like, that's, there is there – is, it changes even now, even though he's won in the playoffs. It still changes things for him, I think, differently than, than for another quarterback. Yeah, well, the, the, the Super Bowl obviously is key to his legacy in, in getting into the Hall of Fame. The – Suspicion has changed based on the fact that he has them in the Super Bowl. He switched teams. He got a better situation, a better organization. That is not all on Matthew Stafford, what happened in Detroit. Um, Just off the top of my head, without even thinking about it, what did they pick in the top five in his career in Detroit? Seven times? 
Yep. I mean, every time you look up, they was picking a top pick, mm. whether it was Sue or Kelvin, or they just always picking somebody in the top five. You get to Los Angeles, and you have a competent head coach, competent front office executive in Les Snead, assistant coaches, players around you. He essentially has done the same thing that he did in Detroit. As a player, he's doing in L.A. with just a better cast around him but Jay, in a you, different organization. Can you really say he's doing the same thing just in the sense that, and Key, you've talked about this, that pass is up in the air and there's no one around you. Boy, you better catch that. It's like, oh, everyone's watching. Like, he's doing the same thing, but the stakes are oh, yeah. so but elevated. Did you hear what he said yesterday on our show? We were running sound of how he viewed pressure. And his exact words, because I wrote it down. I was like, damn, I, I like the way that sounds. Because yep. you are what you tell yourself you are. He said pressure is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege. Coach came giving you positive visualization. Uh, so, uh, so, right. so, so even if there is, right, like I found myself doing this as a player. The more I started telling myself this is where it is, it became my mantra. It became my way to block out. All this extra stuff. So instead of me going on the field worrying about legacy, how quickly could I get myself lost in that moment of competition? And I think for Matthew Stafford, regardless of whatever you hear around, like pressure is a privilege. It's a privilege. I'm here. I'm here. Like, let's go. Like, you get yourself lost in that moment. I think that's what he has no, to do. You know what's nuts about football, too? And it's a, it's a war game, football. It's full contact. And, and it's a violent game. Key, what I have noticed, what stood out to me about you talking about Stafford compared to Goff, who you said you're fond of, right? But whenever you talk about what Stafford did in that game against Brady, you talk about essentially his courage. You talk about the fact that he stood in there, even with the, with the literal physical pressure bearing down on him, willing to take hits in order to deliver the ball, right? Like how much of that key is are we like it's not basketball there's all this stuff we're talking about and you got to do it and get the shot off or whatever it is in football there's all that but the consequences also even in success you're about to get leveled right why do you focus on his courage in those moments like the physical courage because pressure bursts the pipe man dudes fold under pressure they'll pack their tin in and go home take their football when they start getting teed off on, they they will literally shut down on you. Quarterbacks have been known to chuck and duck. He didn't chuck and duck. He stood in as a guy was aiming and hitting right in his chin, and he delivered the football. You know what that does to the rest of the team? It, it essentially, and I, it's not locker room talk. It's not locker room coach speak, pregame prep talk. It's none of that. It allows the rest of the team to look at him and say, we have to – fight for him look what he has just done for us and it may not be verbally but in your mind as a player you're like yeah that's what i'm talking about Key, do and now all the great ones have that do all the great ones have that thing is that the number one thing the kind of obvious thing like are you willing physically as a quarterback to put yourself out there and take those shots is that the number when we talk about clutch quarterbacks big moments hey, yeah, is Max, that the number one thing you've been watching sports for a while have you ever seen a scary-ass quarterback be good? No. <laughs> nope. No. Nope. They're all the good ones, they take that punishment in that hit. The scary ones, never mind, they don't do certain right. things. Yep. And that's why their careers go one way 
in the great ones' careers going nothing. Stafford stood in there. Burrow took nine sacks, kept getting up, and won the game. It's not an accident that these two are playing each other in the Super Bowl. Stafford also has a chance to become the fourth Georgia Bulldog to win a Super Bowl MVP. Keyshawn J. Will and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance. We continue next on ESPN Radio and ESPN2. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100 times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app go to prizepicks.com morning and use code morning for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com morning code morning for a first deposit match up to 100 prize picks pick more pick less it's that easy passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors... You're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Podcast. The second I was traded here and we got Von Miller, we get Odell, we get these unbelievable players. You know, the pressure for our team has been there all season from the outside. But from us, that stuff hasn't really bothered us, hasn't really crept in, you know, into our thought process at all. We just go out there and attack each day. So we mentioned Matthew Stafford as a chance to become the fourth Georgia Bulldog to win Super Bowl MVP. Here on Keyshawn J. Willemax, ESPN Radio, we're joined by two of the previous Georgia Bulldogs. We've won Super Bowl MVP. There they are, Heinz Ward and Terrell Davis. Good morning, guys. Good morning, good morning fellas. Let's so, crack it, man. What's good, boys? So we about to add another Bulldog to the list of Super Bowl MVPs this weekend, guys? Yeah. Yeah, nice. short and sweet, Yes. Matthew, Matthew, yes. I mean, listen, 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 not only Matthew Stafford, if you're talking about, but remember, we got Sony Michelle over there. Don't forget, we got Leonard Floyd on that squad as well. So mm-hmm. we've got some guys that can that can have some big game, big day and uh, end up bringing home that that tro- that uh, MVP trophy. So absolutely. Of course, punt, we just won a national title. Key, key, we won a national title, man. So, <laughs> so everything <laughs> yeah. flows now. No, you you you're right, TD. Y'all won a national title. Hines, let me ask you this question: um, How does the Super Bowl game play out between Cincinnati and the Rams? 
Uh, you, you know, it's all about matchups, Key. Uh, you just look at when you go to the Super Bowl, you lean on your dudes, you lean on your stars. Aaron Donald, Von Miller. Uh, you look at the Rams defensive line going against Cincinnati O-line, who's given up, what, eight sacks so far this postseason. Uh, I just look – it's all about matchups to me. I just love what the the front of the Rams have. Uh, I just don't know who blocks Aaron Donald. I don't care if you put three guys on him. It's still not enough. And then you got to deal with Von Miller on the outside. So I think the key matchup is comes down in the trenches with the D-line of the Rams versus the O-line of Cincinnati. T.D., what do you think, man? No, I, I agree with that. And, and, you know, I think in, in a game like this, we, you see the Rams – that front, man, it's like if, if you're preparing for them, it, it's going to be difficult because they'll try to make the Bengals one-dimensional. They'll try to shut down Mixon and, and make sure that it's, it's, it's Burrow just dropping back. And, and if that becomes the, the case in a game like this, I just don't see how, how they contain that front. That's just relentless. And the Rams have shown that they are hunters, man. And so, um, yeah, I, I know that uh, the Bengals were able to play against the Chiefs and you know, the Chiefs got pressure, but Burrow was able to escape and be Houdini. But I, I, I just don't know in a game like this. And I think that the hunger from the Rams and their veteran players, the guys like like Whitworth, right, the guy that has played uh, long in this league, um, you know, I believe he's 16 years in this league, you know, he, ha- he doesn't want to have a championship. Aaron Donald doesn't have one. Matthew Stafford doesn't have one. Uh, Johnny Hecker doesn't have one. So their veterans are going to be hungry in a game like this. And I think that the hunger of that, trying to get that championship, is going to – outwill this young kind of ambitious team who really is not supposed to be here in, in everybody's mind. And yeah, they're, you know, they're kind of like, Hey, you don't know what you don't know. And they're just, they just beat the odds. But yeah, I think the Rams are going to probably come out on top uh, when it's all said and done. Hines, you, you spent some time on the Jets coaching staff and are now assistant coach at FAU. Uh, you went through the head coach hiring process in Houston this cycle. What do you think needs to change to get more black head coaches hired? Well, I just think culturally. I mean, you look at the ownership, um, really not having a minority owner out there makes it tough. But uh, the Rooney rule is, is, is a great idea. It's just, I think, is implemented poorly. Um, you know, I really can't speak for other organizations, uh, but I know for Pittsburgh, uh, the Rooney rule gave Mike Tomlin an opportunity to get his uh, shot in front of the ownership. And he went in there and wowed them over. Uh, as a veteran player, we always thought that the Steelers were going to stay in-house and, and hire coach, uh, offensive line coach Russ Graham. And then out of nowhere, uh, Mike Tomlin comes in. And, and I've been blessed, man, to, to only play for two uh, head coaches throughout my career, uh, Coach Cowher and Coach Tomlin. So um, when Coach Tomlin came in, man, you see why he was able to uh, lead men. I mean, he was a great leader of men. Uh, I think in 15 years in his coaching career, never had a losing record. Uh, speaks for itself. But I knew through the Rooney Rule gave Mike Tom an opportunity uh, to showcase what he can do in front of our owner. And um, that's why he's been there for 15 years. So I see some of the other things that's going out there. I mean, like I said, I really can't speak on it. Um, I was blessed enough to get an opportunity to go down to Houston uh, and, and take part of, you know, interviewing for a head coaching job and just looking at their past three coaches that they have. They've all been of uh, African-American coaches, you know, with Romeo Cornell and, and, and David Cully and, and now Lovey Smith. So uh, regardless of however they 
got their opportunities. Uh, it is what it is. But I do think that with the league and their social justice policy, sometimes just hearing, talking to other coaches, talking to other players, uh, sometimes they, they think of the NFL as kind of hypocrites. You know, they have policies set up that says the NFL family and partnership with players, clubs, and owners work to create that positive change in communities across the country and to ensure equal opportunity becomes a reality for all. And that's not always the case, it seems like, when it involves minority and trying to be head coaches in the NFL. So, um, guys, we're running out of time a little bit here. You both like the Rams in this game. Um, and, and I'm sorry, Hines, did you also say the Rams? Yes, they both said the Rams. Yeah, they both said the Rams in this game. Um, yes. What happens? Going with the Rams. What happens if Joe Burrow's team wins, especially if he shows out, whether it's getting up from nine sacks or making the game-winning throw? We've been talking about it all week. Does that make him the new face of the NFL? Where does that put Joe Burrow in the constellation of stars in the league if the Bengals win? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I think he's already there. Mm. You know, I, I think he's already there. He's already proven that he's he's a he's a winner already. I mean, he's taken his team to a Super Bowl in his second year, didn't play the whole season in his first year. So the guy's already got superstardom written all over him. Now, if he wins this, yeah, he'll be placed in the same category as a Patrick Mahomes, and we'll start to say, is he the next Tom Brady? And, and listen, ain't nobody Tom Brady, but we'll make that we'll start making that argument really, really fast. Um, but then, you know, then he's got to back it up again. But the dude has got a, pet, a, a championship pedigree. And the guy won at LSU. And so to me, no, I, I, I think he's already there, man, Max, whether he wins this one or not. Mm. Wow, it's a lot. Tell us why you're with. Yeah, Max, he's, yeah, he's, he's proven. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's proven, man. I mean, <laughs> Burrow is that dude, man. And so the, to overcome all the great firepower they have on the defensive side for the Rams, if Cincinnati can somehow pull this thing off and, and be the true Cinderella team, it's all a testament of Joe Burrow. And, you know, for him to go out there and lead his team the way he's done in the playoffs, I think speaks for itself. But he's definitely one of those guys on the rise and be the face of, of the league if they can pull out a huge upset. Guys, can you quickly tell us why you're with us today? Yeah, man, we're, ex- we're extremely excited to be partnering with Tums this year who knows – about the heat of competition, of course, as players, we also enjoy the heat of competition and uh, look forward to the match on Sunday. But Tums is hosting the first ever Tums Worthy Big Game Trivia, and it's putting fans' knowledge to the test for an opportunity to win a piece of $88,000 in prizes on Sunday. And fans can check us out at Tums Official on Twitter for more details. And tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time, Terrell and I would go head-to-head in our own trivia challenge, man, which you can watch live stream via at Tom's Official. So be sure to check it out, man. Watch me beat up on TD. <laughs> got all the knowledge of the NFL, anything out there, man. So it's going to be very competitive. Two Bulldogs going yeah. head-to-head for one bone. So it's yeah, Super Bowl champion Bulldogs. Yeah, a little dog-on-dog crime, but... <laughs> Little dog on dog crime, but you know what, man? We'll, we'll make up afterwards. We'll, we'll make up afterwards. TD, Heinz Ward, thank you for jumping on with us this morning. All right, boys. The executive director of the NFLPA on the impact the players can have on the NFL's hiring process. That's next, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. 
Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.